In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We are in First Samuel chapter 4. And if you guys remember, First Samuel started by talking to us about the birth of Samuel the prophet and how he grew with God. And there is also a comparison that's been going on between the family of Hannah and the family of Eli the priest. And we saw like as Samuel was growing and God preparing him to be a leader and God spoke to him. We also see how the family of Eli were deteriorating and they are not moving on toward repentance. Last time we saw that a scene that we will see quite often, there is a war between Israel and, and Palestine, the Philistines. And the, the Israelites lost and instead of learning from their past experience in the time of Joshua, where when they lose, they go back to God and ask Him, why did we lose? And they repent. They decided to do something that is not traditional. They took the ark and they brought it into war. And we saw like when the ark came, the soldiers of Israel started screaming and celebrating and all this stuff. And from outside, it seems good. But internally, it does not reflect the life of God. Sometimes people might attend a church, even Nahda or event, and they're just coming because there's a lot of people. And this is where the event is. They don't want to miss it. But they're not coming truly to be with God. So sometimes we do certain things just because they look good from the outside, but the depth of our hearts does not match with the action. And that's what happened with the Israelites. They brought in the ark. It sounds like a good thing. They're bringing God in their midst. But it was actually a violation of the commandments they have received. They did not repent. But they started screaming. Right? They're happy that the ark is there. And then the enemy heard the voice of them screaming. So they said, you know what? What's happening? They heard that the ark is there. So they got scared. And historically in the life of Israel when God interferes he usually make the enemy scared but you will see in this passage God did the opposite he made the enemy encourage each other they say look if we don't fight we're gonna die let's fight hard alright because the people of Israel were not following God so last time we concluded with verse 9 when the enemy were telling to each other conduct yourself like a man and fight so that actually made them stronger in the determination to fight Israel. And it's important for us from this scene here is to understand that God looks at the heart, not at the scene from outside. Israel looked very fancy from outside. The ark is there. People are screaming. Soldiers are excited. The enemy is scared. But all of this means nothing because the heart is not repentant. The heart is not repentant. That's why the first thing usually we do in our return to God is to repent. The first thing we do in any prayer, we repent. Those of you guys who studied with us the, the, the life of Daniel, we see the first thing he did when he prayed, he told God, we have sinned. We have disobeyed your commandments. That's how he started his return journey with God. Now we're going to go to verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled into his tent 
there was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. You guys remember last battle? When they lost the last battle, how many died? Only 4,000. And because they did not repent and they did not seek what God wants, this time 30,000 people died. Because they did not learn from their first lesson. No repentance, no prayer. The defeat becomes much, much more. If I keep complaining about God and don't repent, the defeat becomes more. It's what's happening. If I keep listening to worldly advice and not sit with God, the defeat becomes more. And he says every person flees their tent. That's mean, basically, they are dismantling the army. Like everybody went back to their own home. They no longer want to fight. There's no army the king of Judah has. It's a significant defeat to them because they did not stop a second to repent. I want to remind you, who gave them the advice about the ark? The political leaders at that time, the head of the tribes. And the priests were corrupt. They couldn't give them a good advice. So they were following worldly advice on how to behave. Verse 11, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Obviously, this is an unthinkable moment for them. For the ark of the covenant to be captured, it's almost mean that the covenant between them and God is no longer valid. The presence of God to them is gone. It's a devastating moment for them. Nobody have ever thought that this will happen. And in addition, the children of Eli died. This is the prophecy that God, that God told Eli, told him, your two children will die on the same day. Now we will leave the scene of the battle and we're going to go see what's happening with Eli. Let's see what's happening with Eli. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. So one of the people that flew the battle started running and he started putting, he tore his clothes and put dirt on his head. This is a sign of extreme grief. You, uh, this is very common in the scripture. You will see it over and over again. Actually, you will see it even in Upper Egypt and some of the older places. When people get upset, they tore their clothes. It's a sign of extreme grief. Some of the rabbinic tradition they say that this man who ran on the same day was actually Saul. Saul is the first king that we will see. So some of the rabbinic traditions say that this Saul was a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin. They say that this is Saul who ran from the battle and came to Eli the priest. And if indeed it was Saul, it means that Saul himself have seen the failures of Israel when they were far away from God. But later on in his life, he's not going to learn from the th things he has seen in his life. You see, our life is a collection of experiences with God. And hopefully over time, I start trusting in God more and making better decisions. Some people in life, they move from glory to glory. And some people in life move from distance and separation from God to distance and separation from God. For Saul 
we will see him going through a stage where he was very glorious and then he went back almost like Eli now when he came there was Eli sitting on a seat by the sideway watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God see Eli then say his heart trembled for his children his heart trembled for the ark of God and when the man came into the city and told it all the city cried out you see if you look at Eli in this situation I want to tell you a couple of things number one Eli started caring about the ark when the ark was lost he had a chance last chapter to tell them don't take the ark he had a chance to listen to the advice from the prophets but he waited until it was almost too late for him to take any action and when he waited too long without an action he became anxious and not only he became action, action, anxious imagine with this Eli is a judge he should be sitting on the judge seat and judging people what is he sitting he's sitting on the side all his life this man has been passive not making decision seeing the corruption in children and he's doing nothing that's why when I have a blessing when I have a grace in my life I should care for it I should grow it I should nourish it because if I lose it I'm gonna be like like the sitting at the door waiting for the ark in, in, in anxious but I want to tell you yani, a positive message I was re listening to Ambakras, the one who just departed a bishop he said something beautiful he said one year of true repentance could equal a whole full life that was wasted and if you wasted your life and then you had one year of true repentance it could make up for this whole life this Eli unfortunately God sent him multiple multiple messages he did not repent when Eli heard the noise of the outcry he said what does the sound of this tumult mean and the man came quickly and told Eli Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see so this man came to talk to almost a blind man then the man said to Eli I am he who came before the battle I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line and he said what happened my son you know when when you talk to a blind man you tell him my name is this you know he's you can't see if you tell him I'm the one who flew from the battle I came here I told him to tell me what happened so the messenger answered and said Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people also your two sons Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God has been captured then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backwards by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years part of me when I look at Eli I'm a bit, bit torn because he cares for the ark so much he cares for the covenant of God so much he has good inside of him 
But he did not listen to the warning of God. Until his last breath, the good inside of him comes. And I don't know his end. God knows the end of people. I don't know. But it shows you how people can have a lot of good inside of them. But if they let one sin penetrate too much, and to lie sins seems like minor. He was negligent. He just didn't do his job right. It took over and it made him die in a very sad time. Also, another thing, keep it in mind. If Eli was, was spiritually connected with God, he would have some words to comfort the people. He would have something to tell them. But he reached a stage where he was empty. That when the bad news came, he simply fell back and died. We have seen many people in the difficult times, they were strong because they were connected with God. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with a child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the Ark of God was captured, and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. This is at the same time that Eli died, his daughter-in-law was giving birth. This should be a very happy occasion. Okay? And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. You see, having a son in this time was the happiest event. Especially he's a male child. This is what they're waiting for. But a very joyful situation for their family turned to be a very sad situation. Because they let the sin enter their life. They did not listen to the warning of God. She was so unhappy to pay attention to the happiest moment in her life. That's what happens when the sin interferes. Then, the then she named the child Akibad, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband and, and her husband. So she named him basically, where is the glory? Basically saying the glory of God disappeared from Israel. And our Lord will prove that she's wrong. Next chapter. But we see in her life here that there is a lot of lack of knowledge about God. That's why it's important for us to appreciate what we have when we have it. And if you guys remember, Messiah, during the COVID time, when the church was closed, everybody says, I miss communion. Now we have many blessings. The Bible is a blessing. The liturgy, confession, Bible study, meetings, retreats, opportunities to help people, opportunities to serve, opportunities to honor your parents. All these things are blessing. 
Who knows when they will come again? Many people, trust me, many people come to me after their parents mess and go to heaven and they say, I wish I would have honored them more. Or uh, their brother or sister, they'll be not talking to their brother or sister for some time. And when their brother and sister go to heaven, they'll be like, I wish we were not, I wish when he, they went to heaven we were on good terms. We have tons of blessing in our life. And I need to keep my eyes open. Then she said, this is what the daughter-in-law of, of uh, Eli, the glory has departed from the Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And this sounds like a, a, a sad end, but we'll see that God in the next chapter will have a different response. I want you to imagine with me, they captured the ark, the army is destroyed, people in Israel have reached the lowest point so far in their history. See what will happen. Chapter 5. Then the Philistine took the ark of God and brought it from Apineder to Ashdod. This is a huge victory for Palestine, for the Philistines. So what they, they said, you know what? There is a common, common tradition in the old days where when you win a war, you kind of take the, 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 the enemy in a big parade and show people that you won the war. So they almost thought they captured the God of Israel. You know, the God of Israel is hidden in this box. So let's have a nice parade to show that we have captured our, the, our enemy. And Ashdod was one of five big cities in Palestine at that time. And actually it was known to be a major seaport in the late Bronze and Iron Age. So this city is one of their main big cities, one of their biggest five cities. So the, 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 the ark now is in the hands of the Philistines without any guard, any priest, any rituals. The ark almost in its most humiliated stage so far. So what the Philistines are going to do with the ark? They captured the God of Israel. To them, they captured the God of Israel. What are they going to do? See what they're going to do. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon is a, is a temple of, of their God and actually it's uh, the father of the storm and he's related to, to Baal as well. And he had two temples at that time. And until 50 BC, you'll see this in 1st Maccabee, people used to worship Dagon. So they brought him into the temple thinking eh, that the God of Israel now will worship their God. When they captured the God of Israel, so now they put him in the temple. So now they, they're telling God, their God, look, you're great to destroy the God of Israel. Look what happened. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fell, fallen on, his, on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. What an embarrassing situation. Right? They're really excited that they captured the God of Israel. They put him in the temple. They wake up in the morning. They see their own God on the floor. And you know what's so beautiful? If you go back to the Torah, you go back to Exodus 24 and 29 and 41 numbers, God told the people, you should worship me in the morning. As if almost it's time to praise. And they gone, psh, fell on his face to praise God. 
It's the devil. He knows the work of God. He knows the work of God. People thought the glory of Israel is gone. But God is just about to show them the greatest victory ever. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground. So obviously, when they saw their God fall the, on the ground, they said maybe it's a coincidence, something happened, maybe somebody pushed him or something. So they put him back up. They woke up the next morning. They found him fall again on his face before the Ark of God. The head of Dagon, Dagon and both the palms of his, of his hand were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. So what's happening? There's an area in the temple of, of the, the, the pagans' temple. It's a holy area. It's almost like the altar here. Nobody passes this area. So the next morning, they did not only find, find him on the ground, they found him broken. His hands and his head were broken. And this is, by the way, a very common tradition when, when people used to capture the enemies, they would cut their heads and their, their hands. It's almost like God showed them, yani, this God is, is nothing. I captured him and his hands and his arms are, are destroyed. But in their minds, they said, well, the, the hands and the head of Dagon fell on the floor, so we no longer should walk in this area anymore because this area is holy because their God fell on the floor. Obviously, this show us that the devil has no power over the children of God. And think about it this way in our life. A lot of time, we live defeated by sin. Live defeated by sin. But you know and I know very well that when I spend time with God in the morning and I get some spiritual nourishment, I get power to overcome I know when I come and participate in the Eucharist, I have power for the week. All what I need to do is spend very little time with God, intimate time with God, and He gives me a lot of strength for the rest of the day. The devil has no power. So we should not walk around feel that we're defeated by Him. We're not defeated by Him. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon's nor anyone who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon's in Ashdod to this day. Look at this. Yani, I don't know what to call it. But in their head, unto the day that this, the first, this first sermon was written, the people in Palestine, they recognized that their God was destroyed and he fell on the ground, but they still continued to worship him. It's like I know, for example, that drinking is bad for me, but I keep doing it. I know that these friends are bad for me, but I still keep hanging out with them. They keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's so clear, it's not, it's not right for you. It's so clear this God is, no, is not a God. This shed lights on our life because we are not easy to change. We are not easy to convince. And every day they walk into their temple and say, Oh yeah, by the way, our God was on the floor here in front of God of Israel. Let's worship Him. 
a repeated behavior that happens all the time. Also, in this passage specifically, it's also important to understand that certain loyalty to certain people or certain groups could ruin your spiritual life with God. Certain loyalty to certain people and certain groups could ruin your relationship with God. Just because I want to be identified with a certain group, I am willing to compromise on my own principles. Just because I want to be accepted in a certain way, I am willing to be willing to be to give up what I stand up for. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ajdud. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ajdud and its territory. The expression, by the way, the hands of the Lord was heavy, you will see it in Exodus 9:3. And this is the same expression that God, the same, the same words that was used when God was brought in all the ten plagues against Pharaoh. And this shows you that the people at this time realized that the disease they had, the pandemic they had, was from God. It was not an accident. It was allowed by God. Now obviously when they're saying tumor, they don't mean cancer. So they, didn't under, they don't have cancers. They don't understand what cancer is. But basically it means swollen parts of the body. They, they would have like inflammation in their bodies. That's what they describe it as. And when the men of Ajud saw it, saw how it was, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon our God. Can you imagine they're confessing with their own lips that God of Israel is stronger than their God, but they're not going the extra mile to worship him. They're not going the extra mile to change. One of the things that I think it's very common in our culture now, especially when you go to universities and things like that, people say it's okay for us to live in tensions. You have an idea and an opposite idea. And it's okay to live with these two ideas in life. And I think this is one of the dumbest philosophy we have in the 20th century. Because if I don't have a coherent picture of my life, I don't have a sense of direction. One day I live by this principle, next day I live by another principle. It doesn't work. You gotta have a clear sense of direction. Therefore, they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Palestine, in the Palestines and said, What shall we do with the Ark of God of Israel? And they answered, Let the Ark of God of Israel be carried away to Goth. So they carried the Ark of God of Israel away. So what happens? The leader of Palestine said, You know what? Let's hold a council and see what should we do with the God of Israel. And I was sitting there imagining the conversations they're having. They have lots of challenges, theological challenge. What are they going to tell the people? Why are we letting the God of Israel go? How can we explain that to them? Is our God weak? Is our God cannot defend himself? They have image issue. What are they going to do about them just having a celebration that they won the war? How is this going to affect the, the morale of their, of their soldiers? 
It's not an easy conversation to have. So they sent the ark to Goth. This is, remember I told you Palestine had five cities. This is the second big city. Goth was a special city because it had some Israelites population there. And actually Goliath in the story of David was from Goth. So we'll see what happened when it reached Goth. So, so it was after they had carried away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and the tumors broke out on them. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Akron. So it was the ark of God came to Akron that the Akronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Remember I was telling you, this is what God does. Whenever he wants to defeat the enemy, he puts panic in their life. They're all scared of him. They all don't know what to do. And they went from one city, their biggest city, to another city, to a third city. It's almost like God is preaching to Palestine. Every city God goes in, they start telling them, I'm the true God of Israel. Every infection they had, every tumor they had, they spoke to who the true God is. God had nobody to defend him and to speak on his behalf. He's almost walking a parade of victory throughout Palestine. That's what God is doing. Even the people who are far away from God heard about him. So now he's going to the third city. Obviously the third city heard already about all the problems that happened. So let's see the reaction. So they sent and got, the city was a bit smart. They sent and gathered together all the lords of the Palestine and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it be back to its own place, so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout the city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So they said, you know what? The ark, we need to send it back. The ark does not want to be here. Obviously, ark is, symbolizes the presence of God. How can darkness ever handle the presence of God? And we see this a lot when people go, for example, meet holy people. When they stand in their presence alone, demons come out. People repent. Just standing in the presence of holy people. So God remained in, in Palestine for about seven months. And seven always remembers a time of completion of days. It's a period of time that God wanted to finish. Now we'll go to chapter six. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of Palestine for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how should we send it to its place. See how, how smart they are? They said, it's not about sending the ark anymore. We have to send it right. We have to show it respect. The first time anybody, Israel or Palestine says, let's call the priest. Let's actually ask what are the right rituals that we need to follow. So far, they were doing everything politically. Without prayer, without guidance, 
But now those people said, you know what? We want to please God. We want to offer an apology to Him. What is the right way to worship the God of Israel? So they summoned the priest. So they said, if you send the Ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty. This is, this is the, 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 priest, the priest of the pagan, Dagon. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hands is not removed from you. Honestly, this is a really beautiful passage. Now we're just going to stop there for a little bit. What is the guilt offering or the trespass offering? You will see it in Leviticus 5 and 14. It is the offering that people offer when somebody is unclean. So they're telling them, you have to offer to the God of Israel admission that you're unclean. So he may forgive you. The unclean were so many people, people who touched the dead, lepers, obviously they are not circumcised. All, there's so many listed, the list of unclean is a lot. So tell them, admit that you don't deserve the presence of God in your midst. Admit that you're unclean. This is the priest of the idol worshippers. Telling them, if you want to send God and do His own glory and worship, admit that you don't deserve His presence. Then they said, what is the trespass offering which shall turn, return to him? So what, what should we offer him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on all your lords. Remember I was telling you, Palestine had five main cities. And each city had its own god. So they're telling them, offer five golden tumors. Basically, a symbol. You know how like in the ark, for example, what's inside the ark? The golden, the, the, the rod of Aaron, the, the manna. Basically, these remember, reminds people of the work of God. So they told them the same idea. Make five images of the tumors, five images of mice or rats, because at that time, there was a spread of rats, and some people thought the, the tumor were caused by the rats. So make five images of the rats, five images of the tumor, gold, and send it away as a sacrifice. Each city is offering a, a trespass offering on behalf of the whole city. Every single person admitting that they do not deserve the presence of God in their life. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumor and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to God of Israel. Wow. Now they're going to learn to give glory to God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hands from you, from your gods and from your lands. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptian and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? You see, the people who are not Jewish, they knew about the story of Exodus. 
and they looked and they learned from the past. Very important for us to constantly reflect about my life and see how many times God has given me chances and blessed me and saved me and guided me. As people said, let's not harden our hearts. Hardening the heart does not work, in, does not work with God. Hardening our heart does not work with God. Only the humble heart can receive from God. And here we see how sometimes the people who are far away from God can be so righteous and can, with a small incident, God can open their eyes quickly. Then therefore make a new cart, take two milk cows which have never been yoked and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. They did something interesting actually. They said, how are we going to send the ark back? Okay, we're going to send it with trespassed offering. But who's going to send the ark? Nobody wants to touch the ark. Nobody wants to go with it. They can't obviously call people from Israel to come take the ark. It's their enemies. So they said, okay, we'll put it on a cart. Nobody's going to touch the ark. Nobody's going to touch the cart. And we'll have two cows who just gave birth. And we'll see later why. Because basically the cow has also instinct to go back to its owner. But now because she just gave birth, she wants to go back to her child. So they're going to take the cart, put the cows... And if it goes in the way of Israel, then this is what God of Israel wants. You see, part of them still almost kind of doubting. They under, they're starting to understand that this is from God. They're starting to understand that a lot of these things requires them to repent and to go to God. But part of them is still, what if? And it's important, by the way, when people go through periods where they are doubting, they do not stop practicing. They do not stop practicing. That's what the, the people of Palestine did. They still continued to go with their plans. We still will give glory to God. And as you go on with God in your, on your, on your life, He will reveal to you what he will do to you. He will reveal to you what he will do to you. One of the things also that's really interesting about this passage that I want to open your attention to. If you go to Numbers, we're not going to read it, but if you have time at home, Numbers chapter 7 from 7 to 9 or 2 Samuel 6, it actually specifically says, do not transport the ark on a cart. But what happens here is that the people of Palestine, they, yes, they violated this, this specific law, but because in their heart they wanted to please God so much and they wanted to kind of give Him glory, this was the last time that God, God's hand was heavy on them. Compare that with the scene from last chapter when the Israelites took the ark and put it in their midst. What God cared for is the heart and the intention of the people. 
Not the ritual, by the way. The heart and the intention of the people. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you, ha which you are returning to go to, to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up to the road in its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it's not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by a chance. This is what they said. We're going to let the cow go. And if it goes to the house of the sun, this is the city, one of the cities of Israel, toward this, toward this, then we know that this is from God. If it doesn't, then we know it's not from God. It's happened to us by chance. It's not a bad idea, right? They're still doubting, but they're still working to respect the advice they have received from the priest. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shot shut up their calves at home and as they set the ark of the Lord on the court and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lower, lo lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right hand or the left and the lords of the Philistine went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh what a beautiful scene the cows moved toward the land of Israel and the lords of the Philistines are amazed. Keep following. You see, I think at this point, you know, if you're following the court at some point, say, okay, you know, I got it. But they were actually, part of them wanted to know more. What's going to happen? The ark of God, even though it was chastising them and preaching to them, it still had its own attraction to them. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. By the way, the city of Beth Shemesh, or the, church, the, the, the city of the son of the, the sun, was the city of, Lever of Levi's, city of priests. And they were the descendant of Aaron. You will see this in Joshua 21 and Numbers 4. And when they were harvesting, we're talking about the month of May and, and June. So they were collecting the harvest, and God came to them at the time of the harvest. Imagine this image with me, simple people who are collecting the harvest, and they look up with their eyes, and they see the ark coming. The ark that they could never see with their own eyes. It's almost like similar to the day Iskida when we will see Christ himself coming. That's one of the main reasons when the deacons stand in the church, in the altar. When it comes time where they say responses where they make an eye contact with the body, they have to cover their eyes. Because we, do, we don't deserve to make an eye contact with the body of God, reverence in His presence. They looked at the ark and they were very happy, very excited to see God Himself, the presence of God coming into their city. But so we'll see how they will deal with it. We'll take this couple of verses and we'll stop here. 
Then the carts came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there, a large stone was there, so they split the wood of the cart into, they split the wood of the cart and offered the cow as a burnt offering to the God. So basically when the cart came, what they did was they built an altar and took the two cows and offered it as a sacrifice to God. And that's the first thing they have done, which is appropriate to respecting the presence of God in their midst. Next week, we will continue to see how the people of Israel dealt with the Ark of God because they will repeat similar mistakes to the Palestines. And we'll see how God continues to preach his own name without anybody around him. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.